Good morning. Are there any kids here? Awesome. So, so glad to have you here. Um, and do you have your, your kids' doodle guide? Let me see them. Awesome, awesome. So we're going to be walking through uh, Romans chapter 2. And as I do that, I'm going to give you some prompts to draw. And uh, I want you to, to draw your, your best drawing. And if you can do that while listening carefully, being respectful, and staying quiet, you can ask questions to your mom and dad. That's allowed, but stay quiet. If you can do that, then you can take your doodle guide to the kids' table and you can receive a prize after the service. Okay? We have a deal? Deal? All right. Thumbs up. All right. Very good. Well, I want to tell you about this uh, gentleman named Mark Chavarella. Mark Chavarella um, was sentenced to 28 years behind bars. He said he was sorry, but uh, many observers aren't sure if he was sorry for his actions, which landed him in prison, or if he was just sorry that he got caught. You see, Chavarella is a disgraced Pennsylvania judge. He had been found guilty of conspiring with privately run prisons, and what he would do is he would sentence juvenile offenders, or kids, he would send kids to maximum sentences and for which he would receive bribes and kickbacks from the prisons, which totaled around $2 million. The longer a child would spend in the private prison, the more profit would be generated. And so thousands of juveniles, in fact, over 5,000 kids were punished and penalized on the altar of corporate greed. Yes, over 5,000 young men and women saw their constitutionally protected rights completely obliterated by Chavarella. The convicting judge that sentenced Chavarella to prison, Judge Christopher Connor, wrote this in his explanation of judgment. Chavarella and his co-conspirator, Conahan, abandoned their oath and breached the public trust. Their cruel and despicable actions victimized a vulnerable population of young people, many of whom were suffering from devastating emotional issues and mental health concerns. Basically, this judge, who was supposed to protect kids and uphold justice, did the exact opposite. He harmed innocent children and obfuscated justice. And you know what that means? You know what that means? It means the judge goes to jail. And so kids, this is what I want you to draw for your first drawing. Draw a judge in jail. Because this judge, he was a bad guy. He was supposed to be a good guy, and he was a bad guy. And bad guys go to jail. And this story helps us to understand our passage 
this morning. So if you would, please stand with me in honor of the book that we love as Autumn comes to read for us. Romans 2, 1 to 16. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on, on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus." This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So as we work our way through this passage, we're going to be looking at three different things. The first one, you might have guessed, is the judges go to ju- the judges will be judged. The second is the absolute fairness of God. And then finally, we will look at the absolute kindness of God. Unfortunately, um, this thing with Mark Shabarella is far too common. We not only see this in secular courts where we might expect to see them, but we also see it in the church. Unfortunately, there are countless pastors who preached a biblical ethic but were found to be abusive and predatory, harming the very sheep that God has called them to nurture and protect. We've seen this throughout the years in the Roman Catholic Church. We've seen it recently in the Southern Baptist Convention. We've seen it in our own Presbyterian Church in America, and very unfortunately, we have seen it in our very own local presbytery. The preacher of God's justice stands condemned because he has done the very things that he has preached against. You know what that means? 
the judge goes to jail. I ask you, how many of you know someone who judged others and then was caught doing the very thing that they judged others for? Anyone? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of us have. The judge goes to jail. And you know what? It's, it's really easy for us to look at a judge like Shavarella who preys on innocent kids for his own personal gain or a pastor who uses his spiritual authority to manipulate and abuse his congregants and stand in judgment of them. Oh, you know, they are so bad. I can't believe they did that. We judge them. We become the judge. And in our passage, Paul continues his prosecution of the human race with each of us sitting in the seat of the accused. It's striking here. If you look at the passage, if you have your your Romans journal out, you can flip back to Romans chapter 1. And Paul there is using the words, they, they, the third personal plural, they. It's them. They are the ones that do this. But in chapter 2, he immediately changes and he focuses in and he says, you, you, you. First, sorry, second person singular. Second person singular. You. Not even second person plural. You, but you. 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 Yeah, you. (laughs) you have no excuse. You are the judges. You are the ones who practice the very same things. Do you think that you'll be able to escape the judgment of God? No, Paul doesn't allow us the comfort of thinking of this in terms of they. You know, those other people. No, he says, you are the ones who are storing up wrath. For yourself on the day of judgment. You. Why does he does this? Why why does he do this? Well, I think it's because he wants us to be uncomfortable. He wants you to feel the weight and the seriousness of the accusation. Because you are in the seat of the defendant. You have been the judge. You might have judged your children, even this morning, when they didn't get their shoes when they were supposed to. You might have judged your parents. You were mean to me. You might have judged your friends, or even your pastor, or your teachers, or maybe there's some of you who even have judged God. You. You. But have you taken the time to judge yourself? And this brings us to our second point, the absolute fairness of God. And kids, what I want you to do for your second drawing is I want you to draw a scale with each side equally balanced. Have you seen those old scales? There's this one column and then there's the T 
and then there's these uh, places where you can put weights, and this, this balance is equally balanced. It's absolutely equal, absolutely fair, because God is absolutely fair. Paul says in verse 6 that God will render to each and every person according to their works. For Jews and Greeks alike, why? Because God is not partial. He shows no partiality. And are there any kids who can tell me what it means when it says that God shows no partiality? Anyone? Do I, do I see a hand back there? Oh, no, no? All right, I'll give you a hint. The absolute fairness of God. When it says that God is not partial, it's meaning that God is absolutely fair. He always judges fairly. And that means that God can't be bribed like our judge, Mark Chevarella, who took money to convict innocent kids. And it means that God doesn't play favorites, you know, like we do. Uh, how many of you said, maybe out loud or in the quietness of your heart, something like, well, you're my friend, so we'll just overlook that thing that you did, you know? Or maybe something more nefarious, like, you aren't like me. And so I shouldn't feel safe or trust you. Oh, you grew up in that neighborhood? That explains a few things. Or maybe even, oh, your skin is that color. And so I'm not sure what I should do around you. We do this in so many ways, but God is not biased. He renders each person absolutely fairly according to their works. Listen again to what the text says in verse 7. To those who by patience and well-doing seek, seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for everyone self-seeking and does not obey the truth but obeys unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Or in verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. In verse 10, there will be glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. Or even verse 13, it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. God is absolutely fair. He always judges rightly. And you might be scratching your head saying, wait a second, what is Paul trying to say here? Is he trying to say that if we work hard enough and do good enough that we will enter the courtroom as the defendant and we will be able to say, mm, I'm a doer of the law, I have done good, and expect to be justified? Does it sound like that? Go ahead. This is 
Not a trick question. Yes. Yes, it does. You know why? Because that's what he's saying. (laughs) It is what he's saying. He is saying that God is fair, and his judgment is fair and impartial. And that means that everyone who can sit in the chair of the defendant and honestly say to God, listen, I am good. I've kept the law. My works, my conscience, they bear witness that I have the law written on my heart. I am innocent of guilt, and I am righteous. That person will be justified and will inherit eternal life. That is what our text is saying. The end. Let's go. No. (laughs) There's just this one little tiny problem, and that is what exactly Paul has been saying. God is fair. He is just. And he is impartial. And as verse 12 says, all who sinned, either by the law or without the law, will be judged. Verse 16 tells us that God does not judge on the outward appearance, but as Paul says, there's going to be a day when he judges everyone's secrets. That means Every conflicting thought, every evil impulse of your heart, every hidden agenda, every hidden intent of judgment or lust or hatred or bias or racism or misogyny or lawlessness, every little bit of covetousness or malice or envy or strife or deceit, or maliciousness, every word of gossip, or slander, or insolence, or pride, every act of disobedience, or foolishness, or faithlessness, or heartlessness. Every time you've lied to smooth things over, every time you wanted something that didn't belong to you, every time you got mad at your parents for no good reason, every time you cheated on an assignment for school, or cheated the time clock at work. God sees and he knows every secret in your heart better than you do. And you know what? Sometimes we just don't like fair. Like maybe some of you kids, you didn't do your homework And then you really, really wanted to get on your gaming device and play a video game. And your parents said, no, you didn't do your homework. Or you didn't do your chores and it came time to get your allowance. And your parents said, you didn't do your chores. So you don't get your allowance. That's fair. Sometimes we don't like fair, right? We would rather just not have to do our homework and get to play video games or not have to do our chores and get our allowance. You see, the problem is God is fair and we are the judges who will be judged. We are the ones who belong in jail, you and me. 
Jew and Gentile, we all have sinned in some way. And we will be judged according to our works. We are the judge that's in jail. As Jesus said, we must be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So, the judge goes to jail. Kids, what I want you to do for your third drawing is I want you to draw yourself in jail. Each, each of you are going to jail today. <laughs> so draw yourself in jail. <clears throat> Sorry, parents. It's the worst nightmare. Your kids are in jail. <laughs> Really sorry to disappoint you. (laughs) But that brings us to our third and final point. And that is the absolute kindness of God. If we will be judged according to our works, what hope do we have? How can we escape the righteous judgment of God? Well, while Paul is an impassioned prosecutor of God's justice, he is just as impassioned about preaching God's kindness, his benevolence, his patience, his forbearance. Paul says that God is kind. And at this point, you might be scratching your head and be like, wait a second, Josh, I got you. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, Someone preached that God isn't nice. So you're wrong. You're wrong. Well, you're right. You know, God, we did, we did preach that God is not nice. God is not nice, but he is kind. You see, nice is simply overlooking things like, ah, you know, that's fine. Whatever. You know, you you murdered that guy, whatever. You know, we can kind of just overlook that thing. You probably didn't mean it when you said that thing about me. Or just want to be lazy and stubborn and greedy. Eh, You know, no biggie. It's all good. It's all good. That's nice. But as Paul hints here, and what he will later expound in great detail throughout this letter, is this. God's kindness has a transforming effect on people. It actually changes people. In verse 4, it could literally be rendered, God's kindness leads you to repentance. You know that is meant to, that you see there in your text? That's not there. It's not there. It literally says, God's kindness leads you, guides you, brings you to repentance. Or we could say it this way, God's kindness converts you. But how does God's kindness and patience convert us? How does it change us? Well, I want to look at the word itself. So you can put up that slide there. Kindness here is the Greek word, krestostes, an activity which is useful or benevolent, or an expression meaning to help, 
As an example, the expression, what is useful, can often be rendered that which helps people or that which proves good for people. So nice, you could say, is just being wishy-washy and whatever, you know, whatever. But kind is doing something for the benefit of the person that you're doing it for. In other words, God's kindness is his acts which prove good or helpful for people. It transforms people. It changes people. It works for their good. Um, we've, how many of you heard the phrase, pay it forward? Pay it forward? All right, good. What is it that's being paid forward? Anyone? You got it. How did you know? <laughs> it's kindness, right? <laughs> and kindness has this way of just growing and multiplying because it's good both for the giver and the receiver of kindness. There's this story of Walter Carr. He's a 20-year-old college student, and he got a job as a mover. You know, I pick things up and put them down. Pick things up and put them down. Uh, he got this job to help pay for his schooling. And the night before his very first day as a mover, his car broke down. And Walter was supposed to show up at Jenny Lamy's house at 8.30 in the morning. Unfortunately, Walter could not find a ride to her home. So he decided to walk the 20 miles from his apartment to Jenny Lamy's house. However, in order to get there by 8.30, he had to start his walk at midnight. So Walter left his apartment at midnight and began the 20-mile walk to Jenny Lamy's house. Along the way, a police officer stopped him. And after talking with Walter, the police officer ended up offering Walter a ride, and not only that, but he bought him his breakfast. And then Jenny Lamy, you know, the person who Walter was going to help move that day, she heard about what happened, and she started a GoFundMe for Walter with the goal of raising $2,000 to help him, you know, buy a new car. It ended up raising more than $91,000. And Carr's new boss, the CEO of Bell Hops Moving, was so impressed and inspired by Walter's kindness, he gave the student his 2014 Ford Escape. You see, kindness begets kindness, and it changes people. It transforms them. And Paul is impassioned by the kindness of God because it transforms people for their good. It leads people to repentance. <sighs> well, we have to stop, though, and ask, well, how can God be both fair and kind? How do we reconcile God's kindness and his fairness? If God is fair, how on earth could he be kind? 
Well, let's, let's look at an excellent summary of God's kindness and his fairness meeting. This is in the book of Titus, the letter that Paul wrote to his friend Titus in chapter 3. And it says this, When the kindness, there's our kindness, of our God and Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs of the hope of eternal life, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works, because these things are excellent and profitable for people. How does God's fairness and kindness get reconciled? They get reconciled in the person of Jesus, who humbly and courageously put on flesh for the purpose that his fleshly body could be pierced and nailed to a cross and so that his fleshy, fleshly body could die. And that is when, when God's kindness and his fairness meet. Jesus takes all of your sin and he meets God's justice and you receive God's kindness and his mercy. You see, what happens is the judge. What, is, what does Paul say in verse 16? There's that day when, when God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the judge. And the judge goes to jail so that you can be set free. So kids, this is what I want you to draw for your final picture. Draw a picture of the cross in jail and you set free from jail. You are free and Christ pays the penalty that you should. The judge goes to jail. And you want to know why I love my home group Thanks, Ray. At least one person does. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, it's because I've been able to forge deep friendships in my home group. I know that they care about me and that they want what is best for me. You know what that frees me to do? It frees me to be honest about my struggles with sin with my friends in my home group. And I know that instead of those sins and that guilt being used against me by, by my friends, instead they'll pray for me. They'll encourage me. They'll help me in my fight against sin. And I do the same for them. You see, my friends in my home group are kind to me. 
They want what's best for me. And it actually and literally changes who I am. The kindness makes me a different person. And God's kindness also changes us for the very same reason. His kindness sets us free to be honest with ourselves and with God about who we are and what we have done. You see, because Jesus, in Jesus, God's kindness and his fairness meet, you can come to God and openly confess any of those hidden things in your heart, and you will know that God will be kind to you, that he will be merciful to you, that he will work good in you. The power of sin is in its condemnation, and the kindness of God breaks the power of sin because it's already been condemned in the person of Christ. You, that means you, can come freely and openly with your guilt and sin and bring it to God. As Paul says in verse 16, on that day when according to his gospel, God judges the secrets of humanity through Jesus Christ. But what secrets does a repentant person have? Those things that were done in darkness, in the hidden corners, have been brought to light. There's no more secrets. There's nothing left to judge. Your flagrant sins and your hidden sins, every sin has been taken away by Christ. This, friends, is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And if you here are visiting or questioning your faith, I want to encourage you. God is kind. He's kind. And he's safe. He wants what is best for you. So you can be honest with him about any secret guilt that might be weighing you down or any secret sins that you've carried into this place. All you have to do is come to the light. And you can come because God loves you and he is kind. He is absolutely fair and he's absolutely kind. Would you come and hand your sin over to God and be set free? Please, if you find yourself in that place, I would love for you to come and talk to me after the service or one of the elders or Sam or Ramon. We want you to experience the freedom and the kindness of God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we worship you because you are absolutely fair. Not one ounce of bias or, or partiality. You are absolutely 100% just and fair and good. And God, you are absolutely kind. And that is why you executed a plan that would be painful for you. 
in order to be kind to us. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking our sin on the cross, for bearing our judgment on the cross so that we could meet the kindness of God in you. I pray, God, that you would now send your spirit amongst us, that your kindness might transform us and make us new, that it might lead us to repentance, that we might turn away from any of those secret sins in our heart and be open with God about our struggles and that he would forgive us and set us free. May you do this in Jesus' name. Amen.